Hey, Marcus. Yo. Do you like movies? Yes, I do. <laughs> hey, Trent. What? Do you like movies? That's all I do every day. Awesome. Well, that's that's great to hear. This is Zebras in America uh, movie podcast. Uh, we're here. We have a special guest. So let me let me uh, paint you a story. I uh, for many years I've always liked offbeat, beautiful stories and interesting movies, and I've always also been fascinated with the enigma that is Crispin Glover, and I've been, his his world has been in my subspace, I've seen the movies that he's directed, and there's obviously a video of of him telling David Letterman that he can kick, that really high, really high, that has been put into the world, into the ether. And then two weeks ago, three weeks ago, a friend of mine, Carlo, a friend of the show says, have you ever seen this movie, Reuben and Ed? And I go, you know, I haven't. Really? And, and he, I'm able to track down Reuben and Ed, and I watch it, and I'm, I'm like, oh my God, this is one <laughs> of the best movies I've ever seen. I don't understand why I haven't seen this movie sooner. I need to scream from the top of the hills about this movie. And then I go, yo, Marcus, have you ever seen this movie, Ruben and Ed? And he was like, no, but I've heard of, I've heard of Trent Harris. I've, I've heard of his movies, you know. So he watches it, and he's like, yo, this movie is crazy. And then, <laughs> well, and, yeah. and then, and then I, I'm speaking to a movie, movie critic, Al Laverne. I'm like, have you ever seen Ruben and Ed? And he was like, I saw it in 1991. I've also seen the Beaver trilogy, and I'm like, "What's that?" And I check it out, and it's good. It's it's you know super weird, super dreamy, and there's even like a documentary about that. So, whatever. And I'm just like, you know what? Let me check out. Let me check out what what this gentleman Trent is up to. You know, and you have a website that ha- where you can find your books, your art, your movies that you can purchase them online, uh, you know? And so I send you an email, Trent, and you respond to me very, very, you know, very quickly to be on the podcast. And I really appreciated that, Mr. Harris. So, so welcome. <laughs> well, thank Harris, you. Director. Thank you. I, I do have to, I have to interject for a second. I just got to get the history right. Um, I was just explaining when Scott stepped away before we started recording I said I've actually gone through a, a 20 plus year journey, tw- more like 20, almost 25 plus year journey with Trent Harris's films. So what happened was Scott was like, hey, have you seen Ribbon and Ed? And I've been, I've been back to working for the last few weeks. So I'm kind of under, you know, good kind of stress. So I forgot and I'm like, no, what's Ribbon and Ed? And then I was like, I texted you back. I was like, oh, wait, duh. Not only have I seen this movie, but it was like a big deal at my local video store in Amherst, Massachusetts, along with Plan 10, uh, Plan 10, and just Trent Harris as a figure. And I was explaining that, like, I, I saw those two films when I was in high school, then life went on, forgot about them, and then 10 plus years later, Crispin Glover was touring with his films at, like, local theaters, and he brought up Trent Harris's name, and he brought up Ruben and Ed, and I was like, what's Ruben and Ed? 
And then I go home and I'm like, oh, this movie that I used to rent all the time in high school, I forgot. Then another 10 years passes and then Scott texts me. He's like, hey, you should check out Ruben Ed. Uh, and I was like, what's that? And I was like, oh, duh, Jesus. And then I remember Plan 10. I remember like you were just always one of the big talks of my video store, which is video to go in Amherst, Massachusetts. So again, it's I, I know you just heard that story, Trent, but I just want the, the, the listeners to hear that. So it, it's a great honor. So, did you did you did you see that uh, Ruben and Ed was just released on Blu-ray last month? Yeah. After 31 years of being not released or whatever. That's happening a lot now uh, these days, more and more. Yeah, I think they, I think they're running out of money, so they're going back in their vaults and trying to figure out a way to generate some cash. You got to make that money, and you. But but if you want, you can get Ruben and Ed on Trent Harris's website at theechocave.net, which is a beautifully psychedelic website. It is cool, isn't it? I love the design of that thing. So you're really into, so your website is called The Echo Cave, and you also sent me a a spinoff of Ruben and Ed uh, called The Echo People. So you're you're into into echoes? Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) (laughs) well no i you know i did that movie reuben and ed and i've always that area up there is where i shot it anyway i love that area so much and i wanted to shoot more there and i decided well i'll go do a kind of a spin-off of reuben and ed and i shot it almost in exactly the same locations a lot of it and then brought back a lot of the same themes that were in reuben and ed the shoes and andy warhol and Stuff like that. It was really fun. I've got two episodes done. I'm trying to finish the third one, but this damn COVID thing has stopped production. Unfortunately. And you're still you're still out in where are you at? I live in Utah. Okay. Yeah. So what what how has COVID affected Utah these days? Well, I can't. My actress is in uh, St. Louis, so she can't come out to finish the film. I could finish the film in one day, literally one day of shooting, but she just hadn't been able to get here. And is this, uh, you're talking about Stephanie Russell? Yeah, yeah. She's okay. She's been in a lot of my movies now. She's just uh, great. I was going to say, she's in Plan 10. Yeah. And she's in, you know, your your latest YouTube series. So I love, I mean, I, I guess it's a common thing with most directors. You have this, like, working relationship. But I, lo- I love her presence. Oh, I uh, do, too. She's just delightful. In, in she gives these genuine, I mean, I guess we'll get into that later, but... Um, there's this great moment that just made me go like, oh my gosh, it really touched me where, you know, she's saying, people make fun of the way oh, I talk. Yeah. And then he's like, I love the way you talk. And yeah. her reaction, it, it just didn't seem like acting. Like the, those those one or two minutes. No, I, I like know that, that little acting. thing makes the whole, that, that whole movie work is just that one scene you're talking about. The look on her face is what that yeah. whole movie is built towards for that and one sorry, payoff. Sorry for people. I'm talking about uh, Trent Harris's latest series, Echo People, is yeah. what I'm re- referring to yeah. in, in that specific scene. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's in what what I'm really I'm really here to talk about Ruben and Ed because I got to tell you, like this movie took me on a journey. I've watched. I don't like to watch movies a lot, like over and over again, but I've watched Ruben and Ed three times since I discovered it, like a couple <laughs> weeks ago. Oh God, you, know? you poor there's, guy. No, I like it. I love it, man. There's something about like, oh, I'm going to make this movie about this dude who like, if he wants to get his radio back from his mom, he needs to make a friend. But they're also like, got to bury his frozen cat in the desert. 
and like like finds this guy who's like caught up in the hysteria of 90s capitalism and pyramid schemes and this idea of success and they go to the desert and 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 find each other and find meaning but also like a whole lot of weird psychedelic shit happens <laughs> and there's this yeah there's the, what i really love about a Ruben and Ed is like there's these hidden characters like whoever's writing this graffiti dissing Andy Warhol and then <laughs> and then in in the echo there's you see the that there there that person is still alive maybe well someone is still dissing Andy Warhol in the desert <laughs> that is still going on and you know it's just like you have um yeah, I just feel like it's like when I was trying to explain to someone, I was like, capitalism, losing its mind in the desert, where two lost souls find meaning, and also they're sort of like Bugs Bunny physics, and, you know, there's just this, you, you take a photo of the desert, and you immediately already start getting these vibes of, of loneliness and psychic, like, well, that, that area is the most is the most surreal area that I on the planet. I think yeah. it's just spectacular, and hardly anybody ever goes there. You know, it's just a wonderful place. Yeah, God's psychedelic landscape is clearly in the desert, and well, it becomes like, a character. You know, the the landscape yeah. actually becomes a character, an important character. Absolutely, and the the character of Reuben Farr, played by Crispin Glover. Um, how did that come about? And how'd you get, how'd you be like, oh, let's tell this story about Ruben making a friend in the desert? Well, it's, it's a long, long process. It took a, took me way over a year to write it. And it was a combination of a lot of different things. I had a friend who was a bricklayer uh, and I went over to his house uh, one day and we were uh, sitting out on the porch drinking beer. And I went in to get a beer out of the refrigerator and there was a cat in the freezer. And I, Holy shit. Yeah, so I went and I said, Merrill, here's a cat. And he says, yeah, yeah, Simon died, and I haven't been able to find the right spot to bury him, so I'm, I just put him in the freezer until I can think of it. Well, that kind wow. of stuff sticks with you, you know. Yeah. So there, yeah. Was, there, was that, there was that part going on, and then also during that period of time, I had terrible insomnia. I was living in Los Angeles in a basement for I think my rent was a hundred bucks or something and I'd wake up at like three o'clock in the morning and start watching TV and there was this guy named Tom Vu and he had it was a basically it was a success seminar on on how to uh, you know make a lot of money and change your life by selling real estate and I thought it was the most absurd thing I'd ever seen so I started studying those those kind of um, real estate cults and, and so it's just a, it was just a combination of many different things that happened. You know, I don't make stuff up. I just I just find it and remember it. I think the thing with the shoes, you know, the giant shoes. Yeah. I think that idea actually came from uh, watching Saturday Night Fever. And there's a character in there that wear, wears platform shoes. And you see the platform shoes for only... Oh, I don't think you see him for three seconds in the whole movie, but it just stuck in my brain. It was like, wow, what a what a character trait that is. It it says so much about a character with such a small thing. Yeah, there, there's like certain truths and certain things where you where you like, oh, let me place that for another time. Like, I I have a friend who would always talk about how he would like to get like he would listen to the band Portishead in the '90s. 
and would uh, you know smoke smoke PCP and just hang out clothed in a bathtub, and <laughs> you know that kind of story is like oh, I got to use that one day. Yeah, and 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 hopefully he he doesn't listen and get mad at me for putting him on Jump Street, but I didn't say his name, so it's okay. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I just I. The delicate nature of understanding the loneliness in this in Ruben and Ed just was really powerful to me. Um, and my friend Carlo, who introduced me to this movie, he wanted to know how you were able to collaborate with Crispin Glover and able to get such a performance out of him. Well, Ooh, I have to interject real quick. I was trying to say earlier, it's cool because Crispin Glover played Andy Warhol not too long after so that's another like kind of weird connection that uh in the doors yeah exactly yeah yeah but anyway go ahead I was, yeah well crispin was crispin was a really good friend of mine we lived in los angeles within a few blocks of each other and we would uh, uh spend a lot of afternoons going to the movies on hollywood boulevard and we just developed a really close relationship a close friendship over the years and so when I was writing Ruben and Ed, I was always thinking of Crispin as the part. And then Crispin had come up with some good ideas. He came up with the, the way Ruben was dressed and, you know, stuff like that. So, and we both just were having fun with that character because the character, you know, I mean, you know what both Ruben and Ed are, they're heroic misfits is what they mm -hmm. are. They're misfits. And I think, a lot of people who are misfits, including myself, relate to that movie um, because they're misfits, I think, and heroic ones at that. Absolutely. <laughs> and yeah, and again, I was alluding to uh, the character of Ruben Farr uh, almost kicked David Letterman in the head uh, in the 80s. And uh, it's weird that I never even connected that to the movie until I saw the movie and I was like, oh, snap, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was a strange, strange day. You know, when you think of the great people to make David Letterman uncomfortable, you think Ruben Farr and Harmony Corinne. And I think you, know, you could uh, put Gary Busey in there too. Gary Busey yeah. and, and Madonna. Those are like, I guess, the, the, the Mount Rushmore of... They all make me nervous too, quite frankly. But yeah. I have to say, with Ruben Farr, it has so, to be at the top. That's oh, yeah. oh, and Harvey Pekar. Harvey Pekar can round out the top five. Oh, yeah. But, but Ruben Farr is definitely at, 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 at the top. And I like, I'd like, I would rather hang out with Ruben Farr than, than any of those other people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going through each one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm saying, like, there's something interesting there. There's, the, you know, there's curiosity and, and magical integrity. Sure. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah, so you make Ruben and Ed, and, you know, you, you, you make, you have Plant 10 from Outer Space, which, which is based on some of the Mormon story, from what I understand. Yeah, it's based, it's based on Mormon doctrine. It's a sci-fi movie based on Mormon doctrine. It's it's really religious satire, but a lot of the stuff is comes right out of uh, right out of you know Mormon doctrine. You know the, 
God does live on a planet called Kolob, and there was a des secret alphabet called the Deseret Alphabet, and so there's a lot of things that I took from the uh, from the Book of Mormon and from Mormon doctrine, and I turned it into a sci-fi movie with Karen ahead, Karen Black. The curve, huh? You're ahead of the curve. Uh, yeah, know? yeah, no kidding. I mean, it took. You, everybody, when I made the movie, they said, nobody's going to give a shit about this. It's all about Mormons. And, you know, here we got Book of Mormon on Broadway a few years later. But. Right. Right. <laughs> Damn near billion-dollar enterprise. Yeah. The they didn't cut me in at all. Yeah. No, just gets, even the episode from South Park years before yeah. that, that led to it was, like, such a big deal. So it's like, yeah, you, you, you kind of predated all, all of that. And what's it like being a Udahan presenting a story about Mormonism and presenting it at Sundance in Utah, where, you know, there's a, I know there's a lot of Mormons in Utah. You know, the Mormons liked it. I sold 10,000 tickets in Salt Lake City alone. I mean, you know, it's not anti-Mormon at all. It's just, it has good, it teases. It's a bit of a tease, but... Most of them just thought it was great fun, and it really was great fun. We just showed it again last weekend, actually, at a drive-in theater here in Salt Lake for the 25th anniversary, which was really fun. People were dressed up like aliens, and it was really great. Yeah, what are, so what are you working on now, now that the COVID has slowed down Echo People? Oh, man. Well, I've been filming, I'm doing a thing about uh, Howl, Allen Ginsberg's Howl. Right. Which I filmed with a friend of mine named Alex Caldiero, who just basically conjures up Ginsburg and does the most amazing reading of Hal ever. And it's the it's the uh, 65th anniversary of that famous great poem. In fact, it was what was it? October 7th, I believe, was the 65th anniversary of the first reading. So we put something together. I'm going to just, you know, not it's not not to make any money. We're just going to put it out on the Internet. Probably I saw next the best week. minds of my generation destroyed, destroyed. by madness, starving, yeah. hysterical, naked, dragging themselves through. I, you know, yeah. uh, some of these words do not age. No, they, so. it's just, it's amazing, isn't it? I actually did a film on Ginsburg once. I quite like that guy. He was an amazing fellow. He was going to do a fundraiser for me for the Beaver Trilogy, but uh, the uh, the venue that we had here in Salt Lake backed out at the last minute. It was going to be Ginsburg and, and uh, William Burroughs of all that, but didn't happen at the last minute. What a drag that is! That would have been uh, great. That's in, that's interesting because actually, my uh, in one of my group chats, we were just talking about Burroughs because uh, Patty Smith was just on Mark Marin yeah. and she was talking about Burroughs. A lot. Yeah, yeah. I did a documentary on Patty Smith too. Long time oh, ago. Yeah? yeah, long time ago. I did a, you know, I've made more than 150 films, and I'm not making that up. I've made a lot of movies. I started making movies when I was about 17 and just fell in love with it and have just basically worked on a movie every day since in one way or another. I can I can tell that from from your work, just the way you, you fit, like your, your output, the way you tackle just the whole thing of, of filmmaking I, I can just tell that there's like a love to it and you just love doing it like you don't necessarily it seems like for certain projects too you don't really wait around <laughs> for that many people you just kind of get up and go which is like i feel like the older some filmmakers get the less that happens but the more of a veteran you know the older filmmakers get there's there's a small group of people 
who just produce more the older they get. And I, yeah. always, I always think of those beautiful. Well, I sure, it, making films is, makes me happier than anything, quite frankly. I'm the happiest when I'm out doing it. It's just, yeah. it's just the most delightful experience most of the time. I mean, after I got out of Hollywood, then it became fun. But, uh, you know, it's, I work with the same people over and over. We always have tiny budgets, and it's, it's, it's like a family. It's, we get together and yeah. make movies. It's really fun. You know, b before we, I, I, I just want to stay on Burroughs for a second because this is great. Because I wanted to, I was trying to figure out a way to work this later on, but it just, it, it's kind of presented itself. So William Burroughs, who had this, you know, a relationship with Gus Van Zandt. Yeah. Um, it's a, another thing, I don't know if you're aware of it or not, but early on and even to this day when Gus Van Zandt's film Jerry was written about Ruben and Ed right. was brought up quite a bit and it, and it was compared to Ruben and Ed qu quite a bit. Like you don't even need to Google both movies for it to like, if, if you, if you pull up old reviews of Jerry, Ruben and Ed comes up right away. And I'm just wondering, look, I know that there's a million films of people. No, no, I'll tell you what happened is Gus Van Zandt, desert. Gus, <laughs> Gus, Van, Gus Van Zandt actually asked to see Ruben and Ed before he shot oh, Jerry. Thank you. you just, okay. That's yeah. Right. That's essentially what I was getting to because yeah, there's some. It's not even like oh, it's just two guys in the desert. There's just too many specific moments of the two guys in the desert and like their actions. You know what they do. That it's like yeah. there's no way Gus Van Zant hasn't seen Ruben and Ed. So <laughs> so that kind of so you just answered my question. So. Yeah. yeah. Have you seen that movie that he did with Burroughs, the short movie uh, about Thanksgiving? Yeah, you know I Isn't think that, so, so it that terrific. Was a, so, Drugstore Cowboy, because he has a cameo in Drugstore yeah. Cowboy. On the DVD, there's a short. He, he's done a couple of little random short films with with, with Burroughs, but but I, I have seen the one you're talking about. Oh, it's think. just a beautiful piece. It really is yeah. neat. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you said that. Okay, I, I, I just talk yeah, about heroic misfits. Source. You know, heroic misfits are people like Ginsburg and Burroughs and Gus Van Zant's a heroic misfit, I think. Yeah, my because also like my friend, our friend Carlo was telling me he was like, you know, it's like if if David Burns' true stories met Jerry, you'd have Reuben and Ned, <laughs> <laughs> which 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 sold me. I I mean, it's obviously its own vision. You're you're your own person and your own director, but I was sold on the description. And one thing um, I'm definitely curious of so what makes you you know you're revisiting the Ruben and Ned universe now is there a chance of Ruben showing up in the new universe well not you know I'm not going to give away the ending but I Crispin won't be in it I can tell you that much uh, but okay. there is a there it's uh, there are references I uh, it's hard, you just need to see it to believe it I think <laughs> no problem yeah and um okay and you so yeah what i also see you have you know you you have been making movies since the 70s um i'm i'm very interested in checking out the cement ball of earth heaven and hell do you want to talk about that one real quick well i spent a good chunk of five years in cambodia making that film it's i befriended a khmer rouge soldier you know the khmer rouge is the the killing fields and all that stuff and he was a child when he joined the khmer rouge and then 
uh, after that war wound down, he began going out and clearing landmines by himself with a stick and a pocket knife. So I, I befriended him. We became really good, close friends. And we'd go out in an afternoon and, God, you could get 30 landmines in an afternoon. I mean, they were just everywhere. It's a, it was a horrific uh, scar on that beautiful country. People were stepping on them every day. People were, you know, there were more than a million landmines. They're still out there. There's still a zillion of them out there. Anyway, yeah, it was about day, him. They're still, they're still working on. There's a big. Oh yeah. There's still like a big thing in in Cambodia. Oh sure. So, uh, that's even like a small sub story in the new Spike Lee movie, where oh, yeah. you know, in Vietnam. They're still taking out mines. That's still a big thing that needs to be done. Oh, Laos is Laos is even worse. You know the yeah. unexploded ordnance. We dropped more bombs on Laos, that little tiny country of Laos, than we did in all of World War Two. Yeah. Yeah. There's a cheery thought. <laughs> uh, war. What is it good for? Yeah. I'm so confused. <laughs> Um, yeah. But I like to I like I like to branch off and do documentaries sometimes, and that you know, Cement Ball of Earth, Heaven and Hell is a documentary. I did another one about cannibals in Sierra Leone that was another documentary, and then Whoa. yeah, it was boy, that was a good one. And then there's different, you know, just different. Uh, I'm adding more movies to my queue as we. Uh, you know, the, I think the cannibal one is on. Uh, it's on my YouTube site. Okay. It's called, I think it's called Cannibals. I can't remember what I called it, but yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's uh, be, it's it's gruesome, to say the least, but... Sounds it. Yeah. Do you, with, with your output, are there guys, like, I mean, he, he passed away young, but like a guy like Fassbender or even Soderbergh or guys like that who do the, like, two, three movies a year thing, did you ever, like... I guess, well, Soderbergh came before you, but after you, rather, but like a guy like Fassbender, was that someone you looked to who, when, like, because I have friends who are filmmakers, and, and some of them sometimes are just like, the whole idea of making a film, it's like, uh, here we go, like all the stuff you have to do, but then it seems like a guy like Fassbender, and a lot of it had to do with the fact that he had theater actors, but still, it's just like, no, let's just get up and go do a movie. Was that, was he someone who, like, whose output and his, like, outlook on filmmaking kind of inspired you to be like, don't be intimidated by starting a movie. Like we have a camera, some actors, we have a script, we have these ideas. Like let, let's just go do it. Like let's not be intimidated by the monster of making a movie. Is that how you? Well, sometimes you don't. Sometimes you don't even need to have a script or the actors yet, and you can start. True, true, very true. <laughs> but oh, Fast is just amazing. The amount of yeah. the amount of work that that fellow put out. That and it's just great. It's just yeah. amazing stuff. I just got. Uh, Oh, what is it? The one that his uh, sci-fi TV series? Oh, World on a Wire. Oh my God, that's good. Which was remade into a not great. The 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 Thirteenth Floor was kind of like a loose remake of. Oh really? I didn't realize yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, it, it's like a you know, it's a yeah with Vincent D'Onofrio and Gretchen Mall. Yeah, I mean, it's much shorter. It's like you know, a hundred something minutes versus. Six hours. Of, 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 <laughs> yeah, of World on a Wire. No, that he was. You know that that notion of. Just work, 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 because why are we here? If that's not what yeah. we're here to do, then why are we here? Sure. And he, he had so much to say that, you know, if he was alive, he, how many films would he have made by now? A hundred or something. Yeah, I mean, he passed away incredible. in 82, and there yeah. were like, there were so many, I, I can't even imagine. Yeah. 
There was a day and age when people just made movies all the time. And, you know, some of your favorite directors have like 80 movies or just made a movie a year or two movies a year. Who are you? some of your favorite, uh, who are some of your favorite uh, wrestlers and who are some of your favorite <laughs> movies? Well, I mean, my, honestly, people think I'm joking when I say this, but I, I really admire and respect Ed Wood's films. You know, people say, oh, God, Ed Wood's the worst filmmaker, the, you know, worst director ever. And it's like, you try to make a movie that people are talking about 50 years later. I was, yeah, I was just going to yeah, say, that's... I have a great biopic about you or the fact that he actually, there's, I mean, it's a sensationalist quote, but he was nowhere near ever the worst, and to this day, no. the worst filmmaker ever. No, he's a fascinating character. He's a fascinating character. And that one movie that he made, Glenn or Glenda, is to me probably one of the very first Dadaistic films. I mean, it's just quite a brilliant piece. He's taking all of the principles from Marcel Duchamp to Man Ray, all of these things that maybe a lot of people don't know about, but he took them all and put oh, them in that man. damn film. It's I, I just rewatched it recently, and and uh, so and this goes back to the whole like he can't be the worst filmmaker because I rewatched because Carnival of Souls. Someone was like, "Hey, Carnival of Souls kind of reminds me of." Uh, Glenda, Glenda, and then I was reading some interviews, and it's like everyone from like, well, John Waters, of course, but even yeah. like Todd Haynes. Todd Haynes drew inspiration sure. for Glenda, Glenda for his film Poison. Yeah. So like, again, you can't be, when you have like essentially icons, at least American icons like John Waters or Todd Haynes citing you in a non ironic, cynical no, way, you no. know, like you're not the worst anything. As a matter of fact, you've inspired some great work. But Scott, it sounds like you wanted to, I'm sorry. I, I, yeah, it's also like you can't tell me that like Tyler Perry is a better director than Ed Woods. Yeah, so like um, I've already there's already one <laughs> famous director that Ed Woods is better than that. Better than, and, <laughs> so he can't be the worst director. Well, I um, think I mean if you want to look at a movie like uh, oh, what was that Spielberg film uh, with. With the with the little monster, oh shit! What's the name of that thing? E.T. E.T. See, I've forgotten it already. You know, Ed, Wood, Ed Wood's way beyond that. Yeah, I've been <laughs> actually we've been talking about Spielberg in this house a lot this week because my partner is in is in art school, getting her master's degree in photography. And like she had to watch Schindler's List this week. Yeah, we we're. Um, you know, that movie is a movie and it's intense and it's violent and it sort of lessens the experience in some ways of, of horror by like stylizing certain things, but then it's horrifying and not stylizing certain things. So I think there's something about someone with that big of a budget making these movies where, where you miss the humanity of of the story. And and I, I don't think people need that much money to make movies. Well, you like, don't anymore. I mean, anybody can make a movie now with the, with the tech, technology the way it is. The problem is getting anybody to pay attention to it. There's so much crap out there that, you, you know, how do you break through the din? I think, what is there, like 10 million YouTube posts every hour or something like that? I mean, there's so much. You know, when I interviewed Patti Smith a long time ago, she said, this is the era where everybody creates. And I thought, well, that's cool. Now I, yeah. don't, think it, I don't think it's cool anymore. I think it's just a mess. 
I I have a lot of anxiety about the singularity and the end of the world. <laughs> I have I have you know I have a panic attack like at least once a week these days. But I'm very I, you know I'm in therapy and I meditate and I work out, so I'm very grounded in this. You know, I'm working through it, and you know this this new economy of content and disposable art with. YouTube and TikTok and ephemera. Uh, Andy Warhol was right. Yeah. Everyone is getting their 15 minutes of fame and they're so desperate to keep the 15 minutes of fame afloat that there is this, yeah, there's this feedback loop of content and, and some of it really is brilliant and some of it is you're like, yeah, it's truly amazing that people have the opportunity. You know, TikTok is presenting some of the most brilliant avant-garde short-form filmmaking. And it is also presenting some of the most largest waste of time I've had this year. Yeah. And they're like it's there's this tightrope act of of brilliant moments mixed with regrettable ephemera and you know there, there was a time where I really thought that the democratization of content was a great idea. And now it's like, wait, everyone does have a pulpit. And in theory, in theory that's great. But I actually don't want to see every single person's art in the world. I just, but I do want them to have the right to make it, I suppose. Yeah, it just plugs it up. I mean, how do you get anybody to pay attention? That's the problem. I don't have a problem with people making stuff. It's just that there's some you know, getting anybody to pay attention to what you do. I, I mean, I it's harder for me to get someone to pay attention to my movie than it is for me to make a movie. And that's, that's I think, that's the problem. Say that one more time? I'm sorry. It is, it is harder for me to get someone to pay attention to one of my movies than it is for me to make a movie. I can make a movie, and it's it's easier for me to make a movie than it is for me to have somebody, you know, get it out there. It's just really... It's really gotten difficult. That's a that's a statement. Wow. Yeah, it's really gotten difficult. I had to difficult. pause and, and think about that for a second. That's why I had you repeat it. Yeah, yeah. well, it's just I, I, it's because you know, of the glut of it. There's this, this glut of stuff out there. So, you know, you know it's... But I, I don't think about it too much. Quite frankly, I just keep working away, and and that's that's what I do. But... <laughs> But I've got a whole bunch of movies nobody's ever seen and ever will see. <laughs> like what? Oh, well, I don't know. How, I, I wish more people would look at Echo People. I think that one's a good one. I like, there's another movie I, called, I made called Luna Mesa, which is a really experimental, interesting piece. that uh, I, I shot it in, what, seven different countries. Uh, you know, Cambodia, Thailand, Rwanda, Sierra Leone. It's an amazing piece, half documentary, half uh, uh, narrative. It's very different. And uh, we'll, and we'll we'll link to Echo People on. Yeah, we, that yeah, do for we'll, sure. We'll link people to Echo People. They'll have know. fun. Because I was just know. yeah, I was just gonna say like to counter like. Your, your comment about output never being creative and YouTube and accessibility, I almost want to counter what you said in the fact that like there's always a time to get a new audience. Like I like we're not we're not Mark Maron, we're not Joe Rogan, but just the fact that you have something 
you don't have to even really pay for it. You just go on YouTube and see it, and you're talking about it on a podcast. I mean, I can already guarantee a few folks will check it out. Yeah. It's so easy and it's so accessible. So it's like, you know, I think this is one of the positive sides of like so much output, so many outlets, so many, you know, things to get your work out there. So there's, so there's also that. No, yeah. I agree. That's, a, you know, I, I always appreciate it when someone does a podcast. It's, I really appreciate it, quite frankly. You know, or writes a magazine article or something. It makes a huge difference, and just yeah. it just makes me feel better. <laughs> and, and also, like honestly, like I've learned. So this podcast that we've been doing for three years that is ninety percent me and Marcus. You know, we have a couple people help out every once in a while with some certain things, but like we do everything, and we've had we've had like. Our list of guests is uh, is is really wonderful, yeah. enormous, and can, and it's all because we just are who we are. We're unabashedly who we are. We love what we love. We treat everything with the same importance of all things, and we're not afraid to ask. So when when I found out these movies, and I was my life was like Ruben and Ed really changed my changed my life. It really did. And I was like, oh, I'm just going to ask, I'm going to ask you if you want to be on. Sure. You know, and I guarantee you people will be like sending me text messages and stuff being like, dude, Trent Harris, holy shit. Um, <laughs> you know, I already got people that are jealous that are like, I can't believe you're getting Trent Harris on the show. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, well, there was a 0% chance of you saying yes to be on the show if I didn't send you uh, an email. Yeah. Right. So by asking you to be on the show, I you already you weren't on the show yesterday. You are on the show now. So you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know, you you sometimes you just got to shoot your shot, and sometimes you gotta you know figure out what kind of sandwich you you want. When was the last time you had a sandwich? Me? <laughs> yeah. This morning. What did you have? Roast beef. Nice. Did yeah. you make your own roast beef? Yeah, I did. I roast beef and then I ate it with one of my favorite oh, things is, uh, yeah, um, horseradish. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. So, so I live in Baltimore now, and um, Baltimore is largely known for its seafood, like crab cakes and oh, stuff sure. like that. Yeah. But it also is lesser known for chip beef, which basically they take, not chip beef, uh, pit beef, excuse me where what they do is they take a roast beef round and just put it on a grill, like a gigantic roast beef, and put it on a bunch of grills, and you tell them what temperature you like, and they take it off the grill, slice it up, and serve it with this sauce called tiger sauce, which mm. is basically horseradish mayonnaise. Mayonnaise, huh? Yeah, it's like, it's like a creamy horseradish. Right. And it's incredible. Hey, did they um, still have an outsider art museum in Baltimore? There they do, and it's excellent, and it's like I, I think they're they're slowly opening up the museums right now in Baltimore, but they have so the Did, Outsider Art Art Museum in New York City used to be excellent, but then they lost closed. a lot of funding and yeah. they had to downshift. And the Outsider Art Museum in Baltimore is it's worth a visit if you like Outsider Art. Did they show films? 
they they showed films, they had food, they had art, they had no, I love those places. Store, um, you know, and and it's not like closed forever. I just don't rem, uh, you know, because like I live near the Baltimore Museum of Art, which is a wonderful art museum, and they're just starting to to reopen. So they have a free garden. So if you ever come down to Baltimore, give me a ring, and you will go hang out, go to the go to the go to the museum, and that's how I'm talking to you, Mr. Harris. I'm talking to anyone listening to this show. If you're ever in Baltimore, give me a ring. We'll go take a look at art. Um, I'm just looking. I'm just looking at pictures of it right now. Is hello? Yeah. What, what, what was that? I think Trent, you were just saying. Oh, I'm just looking at pictures of the American Visionary Art Museum in Baltimore. Yes, sir. Okay, so it's back open, but it's, yeah, it's limited, and it's it's spectacular. I'm not, I'm not super comfortable going into indoor places right now just yet, but it's a beautiful museum. I've been there. It's if you like outsider art, where if you well, don't you think I, don't you think Ed Wood's an outsider artist? Absolutely, he's an outsider. Yeah, artist. I, I mean, mean, I mean, absolutely. I'm not. I'm not certain that you're not an outsider artist. I'm not certain that this is an outsider artist podcast. I think outsider <laughs> art is is like a, a rebel sound, man. Like, yeah. uh, not rebel like South rebels. Fuck that. Fuck them co-opting the word rebel. But you know, just like rebelling against what the canon of what art is supposed to be. And uh, what's your beef with Andy Warhol, man? I actually really like Andy Warhol. Nice. I love that. I mean, I love. I actually met him once and told him what I was doing and asked him if it was okay if I said that in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. I said, I want to say Andy Warhol sucks a big one in my film. And he went, hmm, that would be very nice. That sounds like Andy Warhol response. <laughs> yeah, he was, yeah. But no, I, I, he's one of my favorites, quite frankly. I like, for some reason, that line just came out of my brain. I have no idea where that Andy Warhol sucks a big one line even came from. I was just wandering down the street one day, trying to think of a graffiti, and that popped into my brain, and I started laughing out loud. So I stuck it in my movie. And it's ultra meta, you know, like graffiti about Andy Warhol. Yeah. Andy Warhol co-opting the graffiti movement, like, <laughs> I loved it. I enjoyed it, and I like that Andy Warhol would be like, yeah, hey, I'm okay with that, you know? <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, and since we're, since we're talking about, like, these sort of very, you know, the Patti Smiths and the Allen Ginsbergs and the William S. Burroughs and Andy Warhols, one of my favorite low-key Lou Reed albums is Songs for Drella, which Lou Reed made with um, uh, one of the other guys from the Velvet Underground right after Andy Warhol died. And they did a song um, called Open House, which I found. And me and my partner did a cover of it at a Lou Reed memorial uh, many years ago, right after Lou Reed died. Huh. And... Um, it's just this beautiful song, and I just—that was such an interesting period. That that period, seventies and eighties, in in uh, you know Lower Manhattan was just incredible. 
the energy and the people there and the stuff mm -hmm. coming out of it. It's just, it was an amazing, amazing time. John Cale, excuse me, sorry. Yeah. Um, that also reminds me, you know what I watched yesterday with my partner? Uh, the movie Smithereens. Oh, yeah, I haven't seen that one for ages. You ever seen that movie, Marcus? What's Smith? Uh, refresh my memory. <laughs> this happens a lot. Uh, Susan Settleman, uh, you know, like runaway punk rock movie, nineteen eighty-two. Oh, duh. Yes. Sorry. God. Why do I keep? I, I'm just doing that more and more now. Yes. Of course, I've seen it. It's, it's, funny it's gonna get worse, movie, man. <laughs> I was watching this awesome ass movie, and I was like, "Yo, this feels like the the prototype to desperately seeking Susan." And then I looked. It. I looked and, and she directed Desperately Seeking Susan, yeah. so I felt smart. Yeah. Um, but like that whole downtown aesthetic. Um, Mr. Harris, have you ever seen Bye Bye Monkey? I don't think so. That doesn't ring a bell. Oh, you should. Oh, man, I'm so glad you asked that, Scott. Yeah, that, I think that's a movie that you, you would like. And it's also a, a movie from decades ago, but it's, some, it, it's a Marco Ferrari film, and I think you would. Uh, it's in your lane, is all I'm saying. I think that's why Scott asked that. Oh. Yes, it's totally up your lane. I think you would love it. Well, I'll try and find yeah. it. Is it out and about? Is it easy to find? Yeah. Yeah, it is. And it's basically about Gerard Depardieu finding the baby of King Kong in Manhattan. And <laughs> what to do with it. <laughs> that sounds great. Exactly. 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 <laughs> That's why we thought. That's why I thought it would, it would be up your alley, Mr. Harris. Yeah. Um, yeah. What are some of your favorite movies? You know. Well, right now I'm on a Stanley Kubrick binge. I've got a whole stack of them here. Actually, I've been going over those again. Uh, you know, I, I, it just depends on when you ask me and what kind of a mood I'm in. I just, I don't really have favorites. I just go through phases when I look at a whole bunch of really good films. You know and. Today's is Leonard Rossiter's uh, birthday, actually, from um, Barry Lyndon and 2001 A Space Odyssey. Um, I think he's in one other Kubrick film, but it's just funny you say that because today we're celebrating the birthday of a Kubrick, a Kubrick troop actor. Which one was he? Well, in um, 2001, he's the guy when the, he's like, he's trying to get information about Mount Cl about uh, Clavius when they're sitting in the, he's the. Oh, he's the right. I know who you yeah. mean now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he has more of a presence in Barry Lyndon, but I think a lot of people are, because he asked the question and of course the response is like, I'm unable, I'm, I'm not able to an answer that question right now. Right. They're very like <clears throat> creepy, mysterious, uh, you know, tone, so. Yeah, I've been looking. Anyway, I've got a stack of them here I've been looking at. Nice. What else have I seen that I really... Oh, my, probably my favorite movie of the last... We'll talk about Outsiders. My favorite movie of the last couple of years has been uh, Jadorowski's Dune. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're, we're fans of that movie on this show. Oh, my God. that's yeah, There's a guy you ought to call up and ask if he'd do it. I think he's in Paris. I bet he'd do it. I bet he'd be on your podcast. You think? Yeah, you why not? On our podcast? Why not? Hell, why not? I bet he would. A, uh, I'll talk to you off, off record. There's a the the producer of Yodorowsky's doing is a fan of my Twitter account. Oh well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> so I think you should try it. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. You're, you're right. 
We should have you on. We should, Trent, we should have you on as a guest with him. Oh, right boy, now. if you get him, I'll do it for a second. You bet. I'll <laughs> crawl over glass without my shirt on to do that. That'd be oh, great. <laughs> yeah, uh, my my good friend, the person who, who actually designed our podcast art, he has a funny story about his mom and Hardorowski. And I don't remember if I'm allowed to talk to talk about <laughs> it on record. So let's be brief and talk to our coffee. <laughs> you, have to, to, you have to. You have to say now. And, and let me know. But you know, nothing like nothing, nothing like scandalous or nothing. Sure. Just, you know, I do bringing up Yoroski's Dune. You know, now that since Scott and I had this guest on the show who was a filmmaker, Trent, are you familiar with the book Dune? Yeah, sure. So as a filmmaker, this is something, because a lot of filmmakers have said this, do you think that Dune is, even though we have one coming out ne next year, do you think Dune is kind of this like unmakeable, unfilmable story because of what it is, or do you think that it can be done? Oh, sure. I, and I, love Dave, I love David Lynch, but even Lynch himself isn't too big on his version of Dune. Right. And the TV series on the sci-fi channel that no one really talks about. It, it's, well, it is his... in some circles considered un unmakeable. This oh. version of Dune is a cool movie, but it's not Dune. Mm. Well, you know, it's been, I haven't read Dune since, God, since I was about 19 years old or something. So, But there's no reason why you couldn't make that movie. I mean, Jadorowski sure could have made it. Of course, it would have cost, you know, 200 million zillion dollars and taken 20 years to make. And it would have been 20 hours long, but it would have been really good. I'll take a 20-hour movie. Like, a lot of television is basically 10-hour movies. Right. Yeah, yeah you know, you're million, right. We spend a million zillion dollars on the military-industrial complex. Instead of spending all that money on them bonds, let's spend some money on some movies. I'm, I'm into that. That's a great idea. More movies, less bombs. Yeah, less make movies, not bombs. <laughs> like, you know? That's a t-shirt right there. Exactly, man. Like, I'm tired of all this violence. I want movies about violence, not, <laughs> not life about violence, yeah. man. Ugh. It's exhausting. It right? is. It and, really is. Hi, Doug. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, ah, uh, like, do you, do you think that you're going to make art about COVID or Black Lives Matter or police brutality or any of this stuff that's going on or no like what what is what is no. artist to do now? I mean, I'll just you know follow your muse, but I mean that is not my muse. I understand at all. It's just I think there's there's better ways to tackle problems than the, I mean there are people that know how to make those kind of movies and do them really well, but I am not one of them. <laughs> that's for that's sure. Fair. Fair, that's fair. Understood. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not one of them. But you know, I mean, you, if you look at the first version of Echo People and that little moment you're talking about, where she she says uh, people make fun of the way I talk. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, there's there's a moral in there. There's a. That's the kind of movie that. It, it, there's a point there about being nice to people <laughs> about being yeah well that's the first thing that came to kindness. mind kindness yeah. kindness and understanding and, and empathy all of those kind of things i i like to put that kind of stuff in my movies and i think that 
that's not so overtly a message as like Black Lives Matter or something like that. But sure. you know, it's just not that overt. But empathy is important and uh, yeah, there ain't enough of it, is there? We're getting caught in this trickle down meanness time right now. Oh, yeah. She yeah. seems like a genuinely night like the character she plays in Echo People. Is she like that in real life? I mean, she has to be. <laughs> I mean, I know she's acting, but there's just sometimes you can tell she uh, is, this person seems like a real tough person to deal with. Though. This person seems really intense, even outside of acting. She seems like a, just a genuinely nice She is. Person. She is a genuinely nice person. She's just yeah. a sweetheart and, and uh, so fun to work with, you know, sure. both her and the guy, Pat. If you look at, you know, the guy that plays in Echo People, the, the Harvey Harris guy, he's in Reuben and Ed. He's in Plan 10 from Outer Space. He's, in, he's definitely, in, I didn't recognize him in, in Reuben and Ed, but he's definitely in Plan 10. He's the guy, he's the Mr. Busta's lackey. He's the guy that, uh, oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, he's in that. He's been in every feature film I've made except for one. He's a real wow. character. Wow. He's great. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's another thing. I don't really work with trained actors very often. I find people that are like like the character that I want to portray. And, huh, have... and how do you... So it's funny. We had um, we had Charles Burnett on yeah. recently. And he was talking about the challenge of non-actors versus actors. Your, so what has your experience been like with with uh, non-actors? For me, it's a hell of a lot easier to work with a non-actor than it is an actor. It's a lot easier. Hmm. I mean, except, well, there are, uh, of course, there is, are exceptions. Like Karen Black was just delightful, you know, to work with. But I, I write a character, and often I'll have somebody in mind uh, uh, that I'm going to cast when I'm writing the character. And there's certain uh, aspects about the person that I'm casting that are true to the character. I mean, Stephanie is like that, you know, is like the uh, person in Echo People in some respects. So what, if you catch that, and then we just all get together and pretend, it's all like pretending. Acting yeah. doesn't have to be, I think quite frankly, acting doesn't have to be nearly as mysterious as people make it out to be. It's like, God, just pretend like you got, just pretend like you sat on attack. Okay, you know, it'll work. You know, that's real similar to, like, John Cassavetes' ideology. There's uh, Ben Gazzara tells, yeah. oh, no, no, Jenna Rollins tells the story about how there's an actor outside of his troupe that he had to work with, and they were, like, a little methody or whatever, and yeah. they asked, you know, him how to do this scene. And she said, you know, John Cassavetes' response, kind of annoyed and somewhat angrily, was just like, just act like this thing happened to you. You're an actor. You know how to do it. You don't have to get into character to pretend like blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So the way you just said that really kind of, you know, John Casamitis is also the kind of guy, like, even when people don't like his movies, they kind of love him and his ideology. Yeah. And he's another one who just, I mean, he faced a lot of challenges of getting movies made, but when it was time to make a movie or time to create, he was someone, Let, let's just get up and go do it. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely true. That. Definitely true. And it was harder then, too. I mean, that was... A, yeah. a significant yeah. amount of, you know, chunk of change to go out and try to make a movie. Even yeah. if you're shooting it on super 16 millimeter or something, you're still talking hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. But yeah. All right. Well, as we, you know, as we uh, like to wrap up with um, 
with our sort of vibe. You know, obviously, thank you so much for coming on. Really, um, it's awesome. Is there are there are there any things that we didn't ask that you want to ask about? If there's any any things you'd like to imbue on us before before we head on out today? No, heck, I think this has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate you guys calling me up. This is this is a lot of fun. I hope you get Yadarowski to be on your show. You got us amped to do it now. We have to. Okay, we're, 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 I think we're gonna have to try to work on that. So. Yeah, I might have to take some mushrooms though beforehand. <laughs> You know, why not yeah. make it action packed? You know, obviously, like that's definitely a trope taking mushrooms and going to the desert. But yeah. I think there's a reason why people do it. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. All right. Uh, Mr. Harris, uh, where can people find you if they're looking for you? Uh, oh, I like to hang out at uh, Dick and Dixie's bar. <laughs> that's uh the best answer that that we've ever gotten i meant like social media or website or whatever yeah i mean if you just google trent harris films i'll come there's a bunch there's so much crap comes up you, you'll never want to get through it all i'm not too hard to find and if you see him get him a roast beef sandwich with horseradish yeah yeah